The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Right. So our next event is a, a kind of a panel on ideas for what to do next and how to carry this forward. So Liz and Kim will be each presenting a little bit of their ideas. And then we'll have a few minutes, and I'd like to invite all the other mentors, especially who are here, to think if there's something you'd like to contribute during the last 10 minutes, and then we'll just open it up if there's time. Yeah, that's a good idea. Are there, Everybody who's been a mentor in this program, can you raise your hand? Judy, Judy had to go. Who, ha- who was one. Was one. Judy had to go. That's too bad. Okay. Well, anyway, just if, if uh, Kim and Liz don't cover something that occurs to you, please bring it up at the end. So one of the things I absolutely love about the Eightfold Path is, uh, as Chris mentioned before, every time I go through it, and I've been through it, I think, five or six rounds by now, there's always something new. I read the books again and, and you know, Gil's handout, um, listen to the talks, and I think, was that in there before? So um, it's something that is very rewarding to go through multiple times. Um, but the other thing I love about it is this is a daily life practice, the Eightfold Path. That's what you've been discovering all year is, you know, this is about where the rubber meets the road in your lives and how your practice of meditation on the cushion and how your reflections and contemplations about these path factors come out in your interaction, in your self-talk, you know, the way you regard yourself, in the way you treat other people in your life. So that, to me, is very inspiring, and it offers a couple of things that I'd like to invite you to consider as you take this path forward. One is, there's no way to get it wrong. You are already on the Eightfold Path and manifesting the Eightfold Path because as you may have noticed, the teaching always included each month the the, um, unwholesome things that you you need to discover first or see about the path Um, and then the wholesome factors that can be cultivated. So even taking right view, it starts with um, noticing views, of course, noticing that every everything you do has a consequence, um, and we're busy doing and thinking things all day long that have consequences that we can look at, and whether those feel pleasant or unpleasant doesn't matter. We're discovering where suffering is. Every discovery, I mean, you could greet every discovery you make as a friend, because that's one step more towards liberation if you discover some really um, unpleasant knot in your experience, some um, relationship that isn't going well either with yourself or with other people. That's on the path because it's a discovery of where suffering is. And then we have this opportunity to discover the cause of it. Um, And all of these different path factors as lenses to look through as we look at the difficult things that come up. 
So the difficult things are part of the path as well as the pleasant things. So the other thing, that the rewarding, wonderful things that you've discovered, like, wow, when I refrain from saying certain things to difficult people, it goes better. Or I give way in traffic instead of you know, um, having a competition for the on-ramp. It goes better. People are more relaxed and friendly. They smile. Um, so noticing when it goes well is also a way to take this forward. Very important to notice, as you were earlier with your uh, friends here and, and new acquaintances, when you felt more ease, when something was going well, take the time to notice those things because that is, you're practicing right effort right there. You're um, noticing and abandoning things that are unhelpful or seeing if you can understand them so they come to an end. And you're cultivating and maintaining wholesome qualities. So these these facts make this... this um, process of being on the path which you are a everyday kind of experience of discovery. So you can give yourself even just a few brief moments at the end of each day to take stock of how you met the Eightfold Path that day. Every single day there's something about the Eightfold Path that was happening in your life and you may just take a moment to reflect on that, and that can be very useful. Um, sometimes people uh, keep a journal. They keep a practice journal. So if you're someone who enjoys journaling, you can also journal just a little bit. I mean, even a sentence or two is advancing your understanding of the path as you encounter it day to day. Um, you, the, one of the great things about this program that some of you have mentioned is doing it with other people. So if you had the opportunity here to make a Dharma friend in the group, or you'd like to arrange at the, the end of this class to get together with a Dharma friend and discuss these things periodically as you go through your daily life with the Eightfold Path, the things you're discovering, the things you're wondering about, it is amazing how friendships you know, just lead to discovery. And we work things out sometimes by hearing ourselves say them out loud or hearing someone else say something and then recognizing it now or later. Um, one of the things I noticed about programs like this is that there are these lists of practices that we could do each month. And generally, my life has been so busy that if I found one of those you know, and, and worked with that during the month, that was great. And I, I rarely made it through all four or whatever long list of practices there was. So that there's an opportunity right there. You can go back uh, again through those uh, practices that were given and pick another one that looks appealing. Um, also, that the other thing about these programs is a month is an arbitrary length of time for any one of these factors. And maybe some of you found that one of the path factors came up, and that one was so rich for you that you really, you were like, oh, I'm, I'm really not ready to move on from that one. I want to stay with that one. So let yourself stay as long or short with each path factor as moves you. So I, I think that um, one of the things that's so helpful in this practice is 
you are your own teacher, or you can become your own teacher if you don't feel that already. And one of the ways that that can happen is by allowing what is calling to you, what is speaking to you. And it could be speaking to you through difficulty, you know, something that just is not working well and you keep bumping up against it again and again. That is you, that's a message from you to you that there's a path factor there that, or a set of things that you might want to work with. Um, so that's a way to discover your way through the path. Um, you, you could be more methodical if you're somebody who likes to do inventories. You could sit down and just kind of give yourself the time to process what you've been through this year and inventory for yourself how it went and what you felt were strengths that emerged that you saw on the path and what were areas that you felt you could develop further. Um, so, you know, you could look th- through it at work, at home, with friends, with yourself, when you're meditating. How do the path factors show up when you're meditating? And then finally, volunteering. You know, many of you set up tables, you set up chairs, you you wash dishes. Just during this lunch, you did a piece of volunteer work. And how was the path factor for you in that? How is the path working in you when you're sitting here in Sangha? You're doing an act of generosity and showing up and working on this with other people. So there's myriad, myriad ways to continue this daily life practice. And so I hope some of that is a food for thought or food for practice. in case that wouldn't keep you busy for the rest of your whole life. Um, (laughs) I thought I'd try to add uh, some things um, in a slightly different vein. The thing about this practice and this path is that um, it's going to take us into different territory. And that can be, as Liz was so clearly describing, applying different lenses and different Um, understandings to the way our life is. I think everyone in this program has to some degree already experienced that and we even heard some comments earlier about wow this is really um, valuable to me and I'm going to use this going forward. And so there's deepening and changing our relationship to our life as it is and the Dharma will have a way of doing that. And then in addition, there are ways to bring in new practices or new activities that you haven't done before. Uh, The Dharma can open all kinds of new experiences for us that you just wouldn't have encountered in your um, regular day-to-day existence up to now. I know that for me, there were new things that started coming into my life when I began to practice. And I think without them, I wouldn't have changed and deepened as much in the practices I have and they continue to unfold, of course. So I want to talk about just two of those. Um, One of them is retreat practice. And these are, we're calling this day a day-long retreat. And in a sense it is. We've chosen to spend an entire day uh, doing practices related to the Dharma, discussions and sitting and walking meditation and hearing the Dharma. And these are beautiful activities 
And you may even notice by now that you're starting to feel a little bit more calm, uh, more connected. You have a different feeling than you did this morning. So another way that we extend and deepen the engagement with the Dharma is what are called residential retreats. And it may be, I'm just opening or planting a seed, that at some point you feel called to uh, do a weekend or five days or a week where you're sitting and walking and actually living in silence uh, for that entire time. It's an immersion in Dharma practice. And, in fact, I know of at least one person who chose to have a silent lunch today in order to deepen, and I don't know the total motivation, but perhaps to deepen and extend the practice period that we started this morning. And so, um, at Insight Retreat Center, which is associated with IMC down in Santa Cruz, for example, uh, several times a month, there are gatherings of people to come and do these residential retreats. And for me, I just started feeling drawn to it. You know, maybe not immediately, but soon into my practice, I started thinking, this is really good. How can I do even more of this? And this is, you know, this is not like the greed that we were looking at during the, <laughs> during the section on the hindrances or whatever. It was more, um, you know, this is the something in your heart calling and saying, okay, let's really explore this more deeply and so it's a setting with a teacher and with other sangha members Um, so i would encourage looking into that and any of us could tell you more about um, residential retreat if and when that uh, that comes calling to you my first residential retreat i decided to just start with a nine-day retreat (laughs) and uh, um and I know others who have done longer, actually. I'll tell you about that in a moment. Uh, But when I got there, the teachers um, asked me why I was there, and I I hadn't thought about it exactly. I thought, oh, you know, I I don't know. I'm just interested in this. And when I had to give a reason, what I said was, I want to see what will happen if I sit and walk for nine days. (laughs) I say it was good. It was that was a good experience. I know I was um, listening to a Dharma talk by Rebecca Bradshaw. Um, who's actually currently teaching that retreat that Bruni is on, but she was at the time teaching at IMS in Massachusetts, and she was sharing her early story, which is that she heard about meditation and thought it would be a great idea to learn to meditate. It sounded like it would be good for her. So she saw that IMS uh, was doing a three-month retreat, and so she signed up for it in order to learn how to meditate. (laughs) And then... uh, a few weeks before the retreat, she got a book and decided she might want to read a little bit about it first. And, but that was her immersion. So, it, it, she, you know, she survived. She's a teacher now, so it can, it can be done. <laughs> so I think that's a very unique, special opportunity that comes on this path is to really do something very different, to really in, engage with this practice because it, goes, it can go quite deep and it's different. It's very different to do it in a residential setting. It's not for everyone, but if if it's calling to you. And then um, the second area I wanted to point out or kind of a new possible experience is to study the teachings of the Buddha directly. So the the Eightfold Path was not invented by Gil Fronstall, um, (laughs) although, you know, he has a very deep understanding of it. 
but it was actually part of the Buddha's very first discourse that he gave after his own awakening. And he talked about, he started thinking about, okay, how am I going to tell other people about this amazing possibility of human freedom from suffering? And the way that he apparently first formulated it was as this eightfold path. They said, we're going to need to make it uh, touch all aspects of people's lives. And so um, it was part of his teaching on the Four Noble Truths. The Eightfold Path is the Fourth Noble Truth. So from the very beginning, this has been encouraged. Although I would say that even the Buddha didn't invent, he didn't invent the path. There's another teaching. You start reading more of what the Buddha said, where he says the path is actually built into the structure of how things are, and he merely discovered it. So very humble. (laughs) But the Eightfold way of describing it is a formulation uh, that works maybe for our minds. I think everyone here has felt that it touched them in some way. So it's got some good psychology and good sociology in it, good ethics. So there's a lot more where that came from. And I'll just share from a personal point of view that in my own practice, it's been very important to actually read and study the teachings of the Buddha on my own and with other people. Uh, They've been lovingly, caringly preserved for 2,600 years for our remaining benefit. And we're a continuation of that. I mean, you may feel like, geez, I just started this, you know, eight months ago or not much beyond that. I don't really feel like I'm carrying a long lineage. (laughs) Uh, But this is all an expression of the Dharma. We're all here because the Buddha woke up long ago. This wouldn't be happening otherwise. And so, in a way, all these echoes go on. And for me, I wanted to say, okay, where's that source? How far back can I get? What is the, you know, what was this transmission that's echoing through our world, bringing benefit everywhere it touches? And I found that the more I read and studied, it began to enhance my practice in ways that were surprising to me and Uh, Not even that easy to explain, but the Buddha had a brilliance that um, speaks so deeply to the longing and the nourishment of the human heart that it can transcend uh, the culture, the times that we live in, not because those things are not important, but because these are such universal teachings that we can absorb them through time and then use them right here where we are to bring benefit to our culture, to our times, etc. So there are many opportunities to study the original teachings of the Buddha associated here with IMC is the Sati Center, which is a study center. Uh, Often they will hold day-longs here or there's some wonderful online classes where uh, Gil teaches about the Majjhima Nikaya, for example, which was one of the books of teachings from the Buddha. Also, um, Shaila Catherine run, has now started a thing called Dhamma Classroom on Thursday evenings in Saratoga that have classes for four or five weeks that you can sign up for, and many of them are based on the teachings of the Buddha. And for those of you in Santa Cruz, I offer sutta study sessions and there are other things maybe online through Barry Center for Buddhist Studies. So again, this is an area where if you're curious, um, several of us up here could tell you more of, about that. Um, and it's another one of those feelings like retreat, where if you feel your heart sort of saying, what is that? That's interesting. Great, stoke that flame and 
and nourish it and just be aware that those those resources are available we're participating in something very big and very ancient and very beautiful so maybe that's maybe that's enough on those two expanded areas you could look at and it's a time to invite the other mentors there've been so many ideas presented i think it would be valuable it's, we don't need to restrict to you know anything that we didn't say but a further deepening of something or that was meaningful in your own development of the eightfold path i would love to hear what do we have we have eileen and g and dan anybody else chris obviously eileen and lori yeah. is here lori yeah. would anyone like to add or deepen i want to make a couple of suggestions um there was a flyer but i think the flyers are all gone for the mindful self-compassion uh course that's being offered here um i have a colleague robert cusick who offers compassion cultivation training as well um although those aren't strictly dharma i find that uh and transparency here i'm also a compassion cultivation trainer uh training teacher as well um i found that in teaching those kinds of courses because they're based on compassion and compassion is based on our relationship to suffering um it's a it's another doorway into exploring how you relate to suffering and how suffering could actually be transformed or um helps you in a way kind of come up with uh up come up against those maybe rough edges that maybe you started to kind of uh touch in the eightfold path and guess what they come up again in <laughs> in looking at compassion um because those are aspects of how we relate to what we see in the world the suffering that we see in the world our relationship to that and so i i think that uh that's another way of deepening practice uh because it come ultimately comes back to you to pay attention to how you relate to what's happening there was a question earlier i think um and in the mindful self compassion i think sometimes uh as practitioners i know for myself um i went through a period in which uh we we take these teachings and and sometimes we can like compare ourselves dare i say that um and use them in ways that actually are uh self-critical or self-judging and mindful self-compassion is something that really helps to to uh turn that around so that instead of having a kind of a conflicted relationship with yourself or uh, or an avoidant relationship with what's coming up oh i don't like that i don't want that or i'm a bad practitioner because i see these different things uh the compassion practices are really helpful So I think most of us have um had a sense of what a gift to practice dharma friendship is. We've met with each other, we've met one-on-one with uh mentors. Um and I just want to speak to the importance of that to kind of underscore uh, this phrase that we heard earlier that the sangha 
spiritual friendships is the whole of the practice. And um, to be wary of thinking that, well, we can go it alone now. It's very hard to go it alone. And uh, within our sanghas, within our groups, there is a great deal of support being offered. And there's additional support which you might find yourself willing to offer also. So we have um, a structure that's uh, probably known to all of you, that we have a, uh, um, something called Kalyanamita, so uh, groups of spiritual friends which organize themselves around just about any activity you can think of. From uh, I, Actually, my wife is in a Kalyanamita group which is organized around playing mahjong with uh, practitioners actually from various uh, uh, forms of Buddhism, Tibetans and, uh, and Theravadans. Um, and so they meet together and um, mindfully play mahjong while, uh, while actually having a, a discussion which is very much Dharma-focused. There are groups which organize themselves simply around a time period, people who choose to get together after a particular sit which they all attend, um, people who um, organize themselves around uh, a, a reading, a book group. So these are all ways to keep our connections with each other alive and to support each other in practice. Many of us wonder how we bring our practice um, into the world. You know, where there is a place where there was a lot of suffering and it's very easy for us to um, kind of pull back and and keep asking that question, well, what can I do? What can I do? Or looking for some specific Buddhist group that's doing something that we can join with. But um, when we have a spiritual friend, we can go just about anywhere we can see where goodness is being done. Um, In the world that we live in, particularly in the world of Northern California, there are many groups who are organized to feed others. They're organized around... um, goals of peace, um, organized around um, kindness in their own communities. And these groups have a lot of skills and know how to do these jobs very well. Um, and um, I've had some success and know others who have done this, of, uh, of joining with these other groups, um, with a spiritual friend, and to come into these groups not as Buddhists, but as a Buddha, so the work is done in these groups that exist, that, that have a, a set of skills, that have some success, and we simply join with them. And with our spiritual friend, then we can uh, bring our discussion of this service, of the work that's being done, and have a, have a discussion about that um, between, you know, with our friends, with our peers, and um, around how we bring these path factors into our connection with the world. Right. I think that's all I have to say. Let's say I have a couple of thoughts. Um, one, um, with the Eightfold Path, the eight factors, um, it can be a little overwhelming, eight things to kind of juggle and think about. And I find for myself that usually there's one or two that are a little bit uh, stronger or more up for me in my life. Um, and, and two in particular that come to mind for me is uh, the one on right view and right effort. Um, the right view, the Four Noble Truths. Um, 
we can always look whenever suffering is arising in our life to to pay attention to that instead of you know that the knee jerk thing is to try to get rid of that, make that go away or change it, make it better. But the Buddha encourages us to be curious about our suffering, to actually like take a you know, sit down with that and um to see if you can understand it or be with it or bear with it or just you know, hang with it as much as you can. Um, so I find the right view to be very helpful because you know, suffering comes up all the time and so <laughs> get a lot of opportunity to practice that one. Um, so just bringing curiosity to those things that are difficult in our life. And then uh, right view I, I appreciate a lot because um, to me it's it's a little bit of a formula of how to work with things that are um, that that when we're trying to figure out what to do or if we're curious about an activity that we're engaged with um, to actually look at that is this uh, a wholesome uh, activity or um, a wholesome thought or is this something that is maybe not so and um, so it can be uh, very helpful in terms of guiding our in our day-to-day, our activities. And the uh, one other thing I want to mention is um, I, I really love uh, Bhikkhu Bodhi's book. It's, um, as those of you who have delved into it, it's quite dense. Uh, um, it takes a little while to unpack that. But uh, when I go on a long trip, I brought that book with me. And uh, it's very small, so... It's, it you know, doesn't take a lot of uh, space in my suitcase. And uh, I can sit down with that and just sort of go through with that, go through it and unpack it little by little, even you know, one page at a time. Because I find it's very helpful to just really you know, uh, sit with it, contemplate, maybe journal with it, uh, write it down. There's a lot of good dharma in there, a lot of stuff that um, uh, I have found to be very useful in my life. Uh, most of what I was thinking about has been spoken about, but but I want to um, speak a little bit about how our minds are so different and um, what we're attracted to. I think you just be aware of what you're kind of drawn to and trust that a little bit. Um, for me, uh, service has been a very big part of my learning. Being in communities that are non-Buddhist has been a very important part in, in my practice as well, as is... Um, you know, I, I view meditation as, as an art form. I mean, learning the art of meditation is, is um, I equate it to a lot of um, art that I've done, you know, with writing or any other kind of artwork. You know, that's how my mind works. So I'm a little bit more attracted to those kinds of activities. And then it's easier to translate into, um, you know, learning the rhythms of, um, say, for example, going on a retreat you know, I've done enough of them that I really know my cycle of learning, you know, where it, um, it, it can be challenging in the beginning, and then it gets lighter, and then it gets challenging again, and then I kind of come out the other end. And trusting and understanding your own rhythms, however you um, develop that.
Just one thing I want to highlight. Um, if you've enjoyed the structure of the kind of programs that we've had here where there's some teaching and some small group interactions and so forth, we have this series here at the Dharma Practice Days on Friday that are the most similar to what we do here, Fridays once a month. And I think this month Inez is going to teach them, Inez Friedman, and she's going to use the Satipatthana. Is that still correct? She's going to teach on Satipatthana. Yes, Gil did the perfections last year. He does something, but next year, starting in September, is what I'm saying. Nikki? Okay. Well, you might check what we're doing on the Dharma practice days on Friday this year. I've heard different things, but either one of those sound wonderful to me. Nikki on the Brahma Viharas or Inez on the Satipatthana. So it's a, it's a chance to go into some other teaching than the Eightfold Path in more depth, but in a similar format to this. Okay, thank you, everyone. Did anyone else have uh, anything they want to say on the subject right now? Offer a suggestion? Yes, many people have taken the course more than once, as as you've heard. We'll be starting again in September. So we have another walking period now. So please enjoy your walking period, and we'll ring a bell and resume. Thank you. Um, Till 2.30, so about 25 minutes.